Okay, everyone. How we doing? Good morning. So if you could make your way back to your seats and remain standing for the authority of God's Word, up and down, up and down, I get it. And you're going to have to turn in either, either your real Bibles or we've given out some of these Luke uh, packets. So you're going to have to turn there to uh, the fourth chapter of the book of Luke. Uh, we're going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 13, even though today's teaching will only be through 1 through 4. But for context, this is the Word of God. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Nothing during these days. And when they had ended, were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The devils took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will, be, it will, be, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their uh, hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And that we all say together. Amen and amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. I do also want to draw your attention. We have started providing little cheat sheets for you. So some of you are either OCD or uh, ADD. And for either one, this is a great tool. And so if it works, great. We'll try it for six or eight weeks. And if it is something that we need to continue to implement, just know that that's another teaching tool for you. As you can tell, we are still in this series called The Realia of Food and Drink. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that we are traveling through the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so this entire year, 15 weeks in the spring, 15 weeks in the fall, we're going to journey through this gospel of Luke. We're not going to go word for word, verse by verse, but we want to get the entirety of the book if we can. So we've pulled up this theme, this idea of realia. And you're, I know you're asking, what does that word mean? It's simply an everyday object used as an object lesson. And so here we have Dr. Luke, a historian Luke, evangelism Luke, and he's using this theme over and over, this idea of food and drink and gathering and table to show forth the kingdom in a unique way. And so this week, as you know, we we're talking about the temptations of Jesus. And in this very first temptation, we see the temptation to turn something, a stone, and turn it into something else. It's called bread. And so what exactly is the context that we're talking about? There's a dual context that's here. You have good versus evil, light versus dark, here from the very beginning. 
You hear Jesus. Jesus is God's son, and we know also of the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. We have two people, two persons of the Godhead right here in the intro. And we want you to draw your attention to the characteristics given to us by the Holy Spirit himself. What is it said that he is doing? There's two things. One, he is leading Jesus someplace. And he's also, Jesus is also full of the Holy Spirit. So if you look at this phrase, these two phrases, let's take full first. That Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. You may not know this because I didn't until this week. Is that There's two different characteristics of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of Luke up to this point. If you look at what is happening to, to Mary and, and, and John the Baptist with, with Jesus, they are being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Here, Jesus is not being filled at all. Instead, he is already full of the Holy Spirit. So there is one, there's a characteristic that you could be filled with the Holy Spirit, but then there's the character that's true and sure and ever-present. And that's where we are with Jesus is that he is never deplete, He's always full of the Holy Spirit. And so you need to know that Jesus was led by the Spirit, right? So he was full. He was also led by the Spirit. But where was he leading him to? Fill in the blanks, maybe, give or take. He's being led into the wilderness. And if you know anything about the wilderness, this is not society, right? This is the wild. This is the brambles. This is not your vacation, This is where there's very little wind or very little sunshine and there's all rocks and all must and all dust and all kinds of other things. It's wild out there, no civilization. That's where thorns grow and weeds grow. That's why wild animals kind of run and reign. That's their territory. And here we have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, leading the second person of the Trinity into this place called the wilderness. And so I know part of us buck up against a statement like this. Why would God lead God into a desolate place? Why would God ever lead any of us into a wilder, more disruptive place? And that's a good question. Some of you, right, in a wilderness moment, Some of you may be living life that's much more chaotic than ruly, that's a lot less predictable than put in place. And if you're there, you may be questioning God's goodness in that season of wilderness, but I just want to draw your attention that that it's the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into this place of disruption and chaos. So if you doubt God's presence, In a season of chaos, just come back to a passage like this and just remind yourselves that the sovereign Lord is still in control even in the wilderness. So that's something that we need to know about that. And so there's no vacation here, right? There's no good things here. Instead, what do you find? Not just the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, not just Jesus, the second person of the Holy Spirit, but you also find another dual reality, another context that will will really shape our passage. You will find the devil himself. Jesus was tempted by the devil. And so if you know anything about Satan, right, you know a few things about him. One is he is a deceiver. Some people call him the father 
of all lies. From eternity past, we know that he rebelled against God in some way, whether it would be shirking responsibility or being filled with pride. We're not sure. Maybe it's both. But one way is that he rebelled against God and was thrown out of heaven. And when he got thrown out of heaven, he took a third of the angels with him. Not only is he the father of all lies, but we also know that he comes to steal and to kill and destroy. He comes to prowl, prowl and devour. This is his very nature. This is what he does. And so with his pride and with his arrogance, he's still, he's also a false teller. He tells lies. He deceives. He wants to pull you in a different direction. And so you have this context. The Holy Spirit with Jesus, leading him to the wilderness. But you also have an adversary. You also have a villain. You're fully in a conflict here because we have Jesus actually being tempted by Satan himself. See, we need to know that there are things in this context that we may or may not see. And the things that we may or may not see is that Sometimes God is doing something and another time Satan is doing something. And maybe just maybe it's the same wilderness. Maybe it's the same context. Maybe it's the same situation, but that both God and the devil can be there at the same time. It's not maybe either one or the other. Maybe it's just both. But the precursor to why you showed up is two very different things. And so what's in the context that you may not actually read but needs to be explained is that it's the God, God is testing us in certain situations in the same way that Satan is tempting us in situations. And so you say, well, isn't it a sin to be tempted, right? If that's the case, then in our context, we would say no, because Jesus himself was tempted. So it's not actually a sin to be tempted. It's actually what you do with that temptation that matters. So you have two spectrums. One, you have God, and then you have the devil. One, you have a testing of your faith, and the other, attempting for you to sin. Because when God brings something to you in a test, First Peter tells us it's there to strengthen your faith. But when Satan comes as the author of all lies, the father of all lies, he used that temptation as an avenue to sin like he did with Judas Iscariot to lead him away and to actually lead him into destruction. You and I have been taught that if you are on God's side, oftentimes everything works out for your good. That if you're on God's side, all right, that the devil can't touch you. Or that everything will turn to gold or prosperity or wellness. What would we do with Luke chapter 4? Where we have the Godhead himself being led by another part, part of the Godhead in order to be at the crosshairs with the devil himself. You see, he's, Jesus is being tempted, trying, prodded, right? He's trying, being poked by a bully. I want you to react. I want you to respond. And that's what a temptation is. He's pushing against you to see if you'll bow back. Jesus resists that, thank goodness for us. So there's a dueling context here that you need to understand as its foundation. 
But you also need to know, in order to understand this reality, to understand this object lesson, you need to be able to understand the lie of the enemy. This lie of the enemy actually comes to do with his sonship, right? This theme of sonship is at the, at just at the crosshairs of what this temptation is or what this lie is. What you may or may not know that in chapter 1 and 2, Three and four, sonship is a major theme in the first four chapters of the Gospel of Luke. And you, Mary, will have a son, right? Elizabeth, you are going to have a son. And he goes on and on about this birth narratives. Chapter three, you see this wonderful picture of Jesus actually going into the Jordan to be baptized. But what do you see or what do you hear? You hear the heavens pierce open. And you hear the Father himself speak. And what does he say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So sonship, this theme of sonship is, is not just any temptation. Just know that it is, it is on purpose. Satan is crafty in all, of he, all that he does. He's going at your very identity of who you are, who you've been created to be. That's where he's going. It's not just any temptation. It's not just something casual, but he's trying to wreck your life. He's trying to come after you, big bullseye on your chest to try and have you doubt everything because that's what happens here with this theme of sonship. Luke is a doctor. Luke is a historian. Luke is an evangelist. No, no detail is out of sort. So I want you to actually go back to chapter 3, and let's read the very last verse of chapter 3. Going into the temptation of Jesus, what do we hear lastly? Verse 38 says this, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of of Adam, the son of God. Both the first and the last temptations have the son of God, his identity in question. When Satan tempts you, it's not some trivial thing to get you to look at something you shouldn't look at or do something that you shouldn't do. It's to wreck your life and question your identity. Luke 3.38 glues these passages together that the theme of sonship. So that the last thing that we just heard from God himself, this is my son, that is going to be in question. That is what is going on here. So it's the theme of sonship there. But underneath this theme is just this idea of doubt. Doubting what God actually has to say. If you turn, right, this stone into bread, it's just this, like this question. It's just a little just tickle of doubt, right? It's not blatant. It's not in your face. It's not like shocking. You know, we all saw like the Grammys. We all saw Sam Hunt. That's like appalling. You're like, oh, that's devil. This is not that at all. This isn't scary at all. This is a little bit vanilla. And yet here, Underneath the temptation is this idea of doubting God for who God is. If, question mark, did, question mark. This is what the father of all lies does. It always starts with a question. Satan is complex in many ways. We 
know that he's beautiful in some ways, and that's how he can be crafty. But he's also kind of predictable. And how he's predictable is that he does the same old tricks over and over and over again. If you go back to the beginning of our story, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and we see the creation story and the story of how uh, Adam and Eve were come, coming into being, and then chapter 3 hits, and we actually see the temptation of Adam and Eve. And do you know how that temptation began? A question. Did God really say? At the heart of Satan and the heart of his lies is for you to be in jeopardy for you to question God's goodness over and over and over. Satan brings you questions. Somehow we need to turn the page and trust the viability of who God is and have a foundation that is so much better than question marks. But there's a difference. Adam and Eve fall. Here we have Jesus. He is our victor. He is our champion. He's the one who stands up to the questions over and over and over, and he is able to be uh, defeated uh, and the devil's strategy. And so he does defeat the, uh, that should be an amen. And so how does he defeat Satan? First and foremost, he, he says that Man shall not live by bread alone. He's just quoting the Bible. This is in Deuteronomy. And so practically, you and I knowing at the crux of who we are is to question God is for you to look down at your Bible right now, right? If you brought it, to look down at it and then just say to it, do I trust you? Like, where did these words come from? Are these words worth reading? Are these words worth following? These words, are they worth obeying? Are they worth giving our lives over to you? That's what Jesus is being tempted to do, is not just like feed himself, but to question God's goodness, which is found in the word of God alone. And so the trust and the veracity of the truthfulness of God's word is at the heart of Adam and Eve, Jesus and you. There will be a moment in your life where there will just be an up or a down vote. There's no shrugs. There's no maybes. There's no meh type things. It's either an up or down vote. Do you trust the scriptures? Yes or no? Is this where we find life and godliness and goodness is in the Bible? Just know that Adam and Eve and Jesus and you are all being tempted to distrust the word. Number two in this doubt is not just doubt the word, but also to doubt God's goodness. Remember, three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You have two persons of the Holy Spirit in our text. So where's the Father? Well, the Father is being questioned. If you are the son of God. If you are the son, like, where's your father? Like, do you see this place? This is a rat dump. Your father would lead you here? You're starving. It's been 40 days. What kind of father would put you in the middle of a desert and not provide for you? Aren't you the Messiah? I mean, you haven't even done anything. You're 30 years old. You're the son of God. You haven't even come out in public. All you've done is being dunked with water. Who are you anyway? And who is a good father to provide for you only to bring this kind of discomfort for you? An empty belly? Come on! 
and on and on and on it goes. It's not just doubt in God's word. It's God, doubt in the Father's goodness, who by the very nature is to provide for his kids. If a father can't provide for his kids, can a father be a father at all? That's at the crossroads of Jesus' heart. Abandoned, alone, and hungry, in the wild. And now he's got this question. Like, well, what do I do here? But the father is good. Jesus himself would say, how many of you have earthly fathers? And when you ask for a piece of bread, who, I mean, what earthly fathers would give him a stone? No, the rhetorical answer is no one. That would never happen. And so Jesus knows the fatherhood of God and knows that he is being provided for him. But what Jesus, or what Satan wants Jesus to do is to be Israel. Because Israel was also hungry, weren't they? The nation of Israel was not alone in the wilderness for 40 days. They wandered for 40 years. And over and over and over, what did we hear the people of God doing? Grumbling, complaining, murmuring about their belly. There's this phrase called in the um, Old Testament called, you yearn for Egypt's meat pots. That's what we can be reduced to, just like yearning for the meat pots of yesteryear and doubting God's very goodness and provision for us. And so that's at the crux is that are we going to, are we going to be tempted to do that? But the temptation itself, like if, right, you are the son of God, the temptation itself is just this idea to provide for yourself. The fact that you are a self-made man or woman, you don't need anybody to do anything for you. And Satan is coming in hard after that reality. I mean, it doesn't really matter. I'm out in the wilderness all by myself. Nobody's looking, right? And really, like, what harm does it do if, no, you know, no one's here and I turn a little stone into a bread to provide for myself? And you can hear the rationality, right? Because he is, no one's really looking and he could do really whatever he wanted to. And that's what temptation does, is that you can provide for yourself. And the thing that drives us more than anything else is this idea that we're hungry, that we have appetites, that our bellies grumble. Grumble? No. What it, what's the G word? Is it grumbling? Okay, all right. I heard it and I was like, no, that's not right. Um, growl, that's it, thank you. I was like, grumble? I think that's what the Israelites did. I don't know what your stomach, your, your stomach growls. That's what it is. And so that's what we do. That's what appetites do. They turn you crazy. That's why some people about 1130 like, wrap it up preacher, because I'm hangry or whatever the thing is, right? And because you know it, because we are driven by our appetites. That's just what it is. So there's these marketing campaigns that are just all about this one thing. Uh, what would you do? Ooh, ooh. Right, and I don't know what you would do for those types of things, right? But that's, I mean, you would obviously do something ridiculous for one of these things. All right, so I didn't know about that until this, until sermon prep, but this is also um, a, a commercial to, that makes you hangry. 
Pick it up. I want this whole row finished. You know, I'm just not feeling the woodcutting thing today. Uh, I don't know. Hey, Don, what is the rush here? Is there like a worldwide shortage of gazebos? Tony, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little bit whiny when you're hungry. Better? Better. Hey! My back hurts! <laughs> now my front hurts. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers set. So you're not you when you're hungry. And all the, all the husbands in here look to his wives and go, yeah, that's right. Or are you still laughing at Roseanne Bargain? <laughs> I was not expecting that either. Um, but just this idea of appetites drive you. You ask me today, like, where's, where's the best hamburger? I will take you in my car to a place called Timber, and I will pay for the bill. I'm like, it's that delicious. We're on a Project Barbecue kick right now, and if you go into their, their, their shop, it's quaint, it's cute, whatever, it's some big menu, and at the bottom, there's this thing called the Benjamin Franklin. You literally hand them a $100 bill, and they hand you meat. Like, it's so heavy, it like crinkles the plate. It's, it's amazing. But now I could just keep going and talk about my mother's biscuits and gravy or your grandmother's uh, dressing or your favorite dessert. And we just keep going and then our mouths start watering. Why? Because we're attached to our appetites. And here we have Jesus, like it tells us in a humid way, like he's hungry, hangry, bad. I mean, 40 days, 40 long days in the wilderness and he hasn't had anything to eat. Do you know what 40 plus um, February the 12th is? March the 24th. You have to finish all of February, begin March, go through spring break, and you're still not even close. March 24th, 40 days of hunger. And so what the temptation is, is that Jesus, you know, you can provide for yourself. If you're a carnivore and you do eat meat, right, which a lot of us do, you chew, right, in order to digest. The devil is also known as a serpent or a snake. Do you know how snakes devour their food? They swallow the whole. If you need an analogy of what temptation will do for you, it's not some cursory like temptation. He wants to swallow you whole. He wants to turn all of your attention away from King Jesus and onto something that will never ever satisfy. You and I are falling prey to our appetites over and over and over again. Jacob and Esau, an old story in the Old Testament. Esau's hungry. He walks in and he wants to trade his birthright for a pot of stew. And you and I, like Esau, do it over and over and over again. We fall prey to our appetites. Russ Moore says it best when he says this, that you and I would rather be fed than fathered. Because when we feed ourselves. When we provide for ourselves, we feel like we are in control. And so what does the son do? What does he do in this 40 days? And he just, what is, 
just notice first, the very first word out of his response is this idea of man, right? Man does not live by bread alone. But in this, he's not defending his deity as much as he is helping us understand or highlighting his humanity. I am a man. I am hungry. And this is how hungry men defeat Satan, is to give away God's word fully and completely to him. One word response or the first word response is that man, you and me, he's in it together. That's why he is the champion. He does things that we are unable to do for us and in us. I want to give you three fours that matter. Hebrews 4, John 4, and James 4. Hebrews 4 says that he was, Jesus, was tempted in every respect as we were, and yet he was the champion. And so when you are tempted and you're fighting back against the devil, remember Hebrews 4. Then I want you to turn to John 4, verse 34. He says, this is my food. And the food is to do what? To do the will of the Father. How do you fight? Do you fight with food? No. Do you fight with appetites? No. You fight knowing the will of God. And number four, James tells us, James 4 tells us that we are to resist the devil and he will flee from from us. Hebrews 4, John 4, James 4, all of these to fight against the devil. Why? Because you and I were made for more. You and I were made for more. We can resist the devil. You don't think you can, but you can. With the strength of Jesus, with the power of the word, you were made for more. We can not, or we must stop being reduced to mere appetites and cravings. And yet so often we're bending and swaying to these appetites and to these cravings. And this passage tells us that we have the power to stop that now. Why? Because we're not animals. We don't bend to our cravings. We don't bend to our appetites. We were made in the image and the likeness of God and we are able to flee the devil when he's able to do that. Why and how? Because Jesus is the bread of life. He knew that he didn't have to turn stones into bread because he is the bread of life. Jesus tells us in John 6, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but the Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, sir, give this bread away to us. And Jesus says, you can complete it if you want. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. This is what we give away. This is what we get. And this is what Jesus is fighting with is the idea that he is more than just a meal. He is the entire kingdom. And so what do we do, brothers and sisters? Really quickly, are you settling for less? Are you settling and just being swayed to your sim simple temporal at appetites and allowing those cravings, whatever they are, to rule your life? Do not be like Esau and trade something temporary for something eternal. Very practically, where is your wilderness? What is the environment that causes temptation for you?
You may be all by yourself. Maybe nobody's looking. I don't know. But there is a way for the devil to, to um, tempt you to question your identity. And really, really simple is, how's your scripture memory? This is how Jesus is fighting. We might as well fight it in the same ways. If the pattern of lies are the same with the devil, the pattern of the way to defeat is the same as well. Just let's start memorizing scripture, hiding God's word in our heart so that we will not sin against God, right? And so Jesus Christ is the bread of life. And so how do you and I respond? Practically, yes, but putting our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so we have communion tables in the back. I'm going to be serving communion up front. And so what you have are two elements, two very realia um, uh, elements. You've got the bread, the bread that was at the, like the actual foundation of all society that Jesus breaks and he gives. He says, this is my body given for you. And then also a cup of juice that represents Jesus's blood that was poured out for you. Do you believe in Jesus this morning? Do you believe that he's the one who's conquered all things this morning? Do you believe that he can come alongside you in helping defeat the devil inside your wilderness of temptation? If that, all those answers are true, we would encourage you to take of the Lord's table this morning. So do me a favor, go ahead and stand up. Take your time this morning, but just know that the way that we respond is to come to the bread of life.